Well, I'm going to invite um, Angie's going to read now, aren't you? And then Mob's going to bring the word. So we pray for both uh, Mob and Angie that uh, God will bless you in the giving of your word. Thank you. Um, I'm reading from the very beginning of a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And he wrote the letter when he was in prison. And I want you to imagine, if you can, this man in prison writing a letter to a church that's very close to his heart. And, and as I read the beginning, I want you to ask yourselves the question, are there any words here or phrases that could be applicable to this church in, in Headingham? So, from Philippians, he writes, from Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to the pastors and the deacons and all the Christians, all the Christians in the church and the city of Philippi. May God bless you all. Yes, I pray that God our Father and the Lord Jesus will give each of you his fullest blessings. And may his peace be in your hearts and in your lives. My prayers for you are full of praise to God. When I pray for you, my heart is full of joy because of all the wonderful help you gave me in making known the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it, even until now. And I am sure that God who began the good work within you will keep right on helping you to grow in his grace until his task within you is finally completed on that day when Jesus returns. How natural it is that I should feel as I do about you. For you have a very special place in my heart. We shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out. We defended the truth and we told others about Christ. Only God knows how deep is my love and my longing for you, even with the tenderness of Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you is that you would overflow more and more with love for others. And at the same time, you will keep on growing in spiritual knowledge and discernment. Because I want you to know the difference between right and wrong and to be inwardly clean so that no one can criticise you from now on until our Lord returns. So may you always be doing those good, kind things that show that you are children of God. For this will bring much praise and glory to our Lord. This is the word of God. Oh, we are. Oh, we are running good. You can hear, hear me loud and clear. It's good. 
It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation. It's good to, to come back. You might remember the last time I was sharing about not looking back, that it was important in these days for Christians not to look back, not to dwell on the past. But there's also a place for us looking inward, and that's what I want to do this morning. For us to look at ourselves, to see where we are as Christians, to see how much we've grown. There were tensions in this uh, Philippian church that Andrew just read to us about. Some of its members have fallen out and there was disunity. Others were finding it hard to live up to the standards expected of Christians and were wondering if it was worth going on. They were a generous church, but some were worried about making ends meet. And if it was better to place their security in what they owned rather than in God. Also, they'd experienced some misleading Bible teaching, and because suffering had affected their faithfulness, some doubts as to whether God was in control had arisen in their minds. And finally, Paul, their founder and their friend, was in prison, or at least under house arrest, possibly facing the death penalty. However, into that discouragement, Paul tells the Philippians his prayer is that God, through the Holy Spirit, would help them develop spiritually and that, as a result, they would demonstrate God's grace by living a life that honours him so that when Jesus returned, God would be glorified in their lives. What a prayer. You know, it's interesting, on a personal level, Paul could have looked at his situation and wallowed in his difficulties. He could have been full of self-pity. He could have said life was hard and he was going to opt out. But instead, he is concerned for the needs of the Philippians and wants them to know he is bringing their needs to God through prayer. You know, it's a wonderful thing. It was beautiful having that time of prayer, praying for others in need, and of course, praying for ourselves from time to time. That can be such a real encouragement, and I've known it in my own life when I've been in hospital and so on. But others have been praying for me, so keep praying for others because that's a real encouragement. It really lifts folk up. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he had already written, pray all the time in the spirit for all Christians everywhere. Pray for others, Paul is encouraging the Ephesians, with perseverance, with passion, with expectation, with insight, with compassion, with divine help. And that's what Paul is praying for these Philippians. You know, prayer is not so much about what we say, but about how we pray. Am I buzzing a bit? Am I coming across a bit, uh, bit loud? I've got a button or two I can move it down. It sounds like a bit uh, Try that. Can you still hear me? Is that better? Yes. In my own ears. Right. Prayer is not so much about what we say, but it's about how we pray. Angie and I, several years ago, uh, went on holiday with Ben and Sarah, and uh, we were staying in a place on the Isle of Arran. I don't know if you know the Isle of Arran, up on the west coast of Scotland there. And 
we went to a church on the Sunday, and it was a sort of small uh, fellowship, and it was lovely. There was some nice folk there, and they kindly invited us to their midweek prayer meeting, and uh, in one of the homes. Um, but as most of them were over eighty, I sort of looked at them and thought, well, okay, we'll go along uh, because we might be able to, uh, um, you know, our presence might be able to do them a bit of favour. And uh, <laughs> yes, it was going to be a pretty dull affair. Um, that was that was in those days. I don't think like that anymore. I hope. But but anyway, so we were invited along to this this prayer meeting of, of sort of these elderly retired people. So Angie and I uh, went along, and uh, we were invited in, sat down, and for over an hour, these lovely folk prayed with perseverance, and they prayed with passion and expectation and insight and compassion and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because they wanted to impress us, but because they cared for those they were praying for and they wanted to do business with God. And I just sat there on the sofa and thought, I don't pray like this. And this is a bit scary. And it got particularly scary at the end where they invited anybody for personal prayer ministry. And they started going round the room. And like I say, I was sitting on this sofa and I can remember it. Now, I, I moved up as basically <laughs> as they were praying for the person next to me because these people were praying as God wanted them to pray, as Paul was praying for these Philippians. It was a lovely time. It was a precious time. They were praying with perseverance and with passion, with expectation, with insight, with compassion, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I trust your prayer meetings are like that. You know, so often our prayers are just a few quick sentences offered without much thought. Certainly it's true that uh, God answers emergency prayers, but if you can... It's important to give prayer the attention it deserves. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. We have been battling for Keith this week. Keith, who we mentioned, who's in hospital. And it's been a battle because he was on the verge of death. But God has graciously brought him to that place today where there is some good news. Paul's prayer in verses 9 to 11, which was part of the reading that Angie brought to us, is for both the church and for individuals. And his prayer comes in four parts, all of them focusing on growth. So Paul is asking that the Philippians might grow in love, in knowledge, in discernment and in holiness. You know, in the natural world, we expect babies to grow unless there are some mental or physical disabilities. And so it is with our spiritual life. God wants us to mature. The writer to the Hebrews complains, you've been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you need someone to teach you all over again the basics of faith. You're like babies who drink only milk, not old enough yet for solid food. So here's the question this morning. Are we growing 
in our Christian life? Have we moved on? Have we assimilated what we've been taught probably over the years, made the necessary adjustments to our opinions, our actions and our speech, and as a result are demonstrating God's lifestyle to others? Shall I go down another rug? It sounds as if I'm another button. Yeah, but uh, can you still hear me? Okay, I'm sorry I shout a bit, but I'm a little enthusiastic. That's the problem. Okay. Have we made the necessary adjustments to our opinions, actions, and speech? And as a result, do we demonstrate a godly lifestyle to others? Or are the same sins holding us back, stunting our growth? Are we simply coasting along in our Christian life, neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm? Thank you, Nick. Can I go up the button now? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, I'm trying to shut it. Jesus taught his disciples for three years and then said to them, in Matthew 28, words which you will be familiar with. I have been given all authority, this is Jesus, in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them, them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you. You know, that's the calling of every Christian. We receive and then we give out. That's how it is. We learn what we need to know over a period of time and then we go out and share our faith with our neighbours, our work colleagues and so on. In other words, we grow from being a baby Christian to those who are mature enough to take on responsibility for spreading the gospel. How much have you, how much have I grown in our Christian life over the years, I wonder? So Paul's four areas of growth begin with love. Grow in love, he says. Overflow with love. The word Paul uses here for love is agape, a love given by choice and not motivated by attraction, a love that is sacrificial that is selfless, that wants the best for the other person, a love that is demonstrated by action and is completely unnatural, which is why we need the Holy Spirit's help to put it into practice. You know, love is the defining characteristic of Christians. Paul had already written to Corinthians, if I had the gift of prophecy and knew what was going to happen in the future, but didn't love others, what good would it do? If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, but didn't love others, it would be valueless. valueless. If I gave everything I had to the poor, but didn't love others, it would be worth nothing. God is love, and if we are to reflect something of him in our lives, we have no choice but to love others. In this instance, the word agape is used in its broadest sense, which involves actively putting into practice the five love commandments of Jesus. 
Firstly, that we are to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. You know, loving God with all our heart means to love him first. So here's the question. What takes first place in our lives? Is it money? Is it power? Is it status, possessions? Is it your mobile phone? Does God occupy our thoughts? Does God own our time? Is there still no room in the inn of your life for Jesus? Because it's full of things or people that take a higher priority. We love God with all our soul when we find our satisfaction in him rather than a person or a thing. We love God with all our mind when we obey his commands. We love God with all our strength when we persevere in the face of trials. We are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, and all our strength. That's where our love goes, firstly. Secondly, we are to love our neighbour, which may be the person next door or anyone who has a physical or spiritual need that we can meet in some way. However, it's not only about acts of kindness, good though they might be, it's also about telling them the truth about the truth. It's great to be kind and generous to those we meet. That's absolutely right. But if somewhere along the line, when the opportunity arises, we don't share the gospel with them, then we've missed out on our calling. We are to tell them the truth about the truth with a capital T, as well as being kind to them. Then we have to love ourselves. You know, low self-esteem, which seems to abound these days in all sorts of people, low self-esteem has no place in a Christian's life because we are part of God's family. We are co-workers with Christ. We are precious to him. Don't look down on yourself because God doesn't. God lifts you up. You are special. You are precious to him. Low self-esteem has no place in a Christian's life. Fourthly, we are to love other Christians. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, love each other as much as I have loved you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is not an optional extra. We may not see eye to eye on everything, but we must walk together. Because if Christians can't get along with each other inside the church, their proclamation of God's love and peace will be totally ignored by those outside of the church. Whether you like the person sitting next to you in church or not, you are part of the same family. I have relatives in my family 
some who I like and some <laughs> who I don't like quite so much. But they are part of my family. And I get up with them because they are part of my family. You are part of a family of God's people here in Sibylphine. And if you don't get on with each other here, those outside walking along the street will ignore what you say. We are to love one another, as Jesus said. But finally, we are to love our enemies. The word use, Jesus uses for enemies can be translated as those who are hateful or hostile towards us, those who wish to harm us, those we really struggle with in whatever setting. Wow, is that raising the bar? Love your enemies, those who don't like you. Love them with a godly love. But you know, for Paul, growing in love was just the beginning. He wants them to be fruitful in their Christian life, so he wants the Philippians to also grow in knowledge, in discernment, and in holiness. Grow in knowledge, Paul says. Paul is praying that their as their love grows, so their knowledge of God will increase. The word translated knowledge appears 20 times in the New Testament and always refers to a knowledge of God. But this is not an intellectual exercise. We're not collecting facts about God, but developing an intimate knowledge of him. We don't solely focus on knowing about him but knowing him intimately because we can increase our knowledge but not grow closer to God. We can know all about the Bible, about God and about Christianity in our head, but unless that knowledge, that head knowledge, transfers to our heart, our relationship with God will be at arm's length, at a distance. We will be happy to attend church on Sundays, but not really interested in hearing his voice. We'll be happy to go through the motions of being a Christian, but reluctant to give our life to him and all that we possess. We'll be happy to paddle in the shallows of spirituality, but not willing to plumb the depths of his mercy, his peace, and his wisdom will be happy to follow Jesus so far along the road, but not be willing to abandon ourselves to him, to surrender, as the song had it. Isaac Watts puts it like this, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. You can't be half-hearted as a Christian. You simply can't. It is all or nothing. 
In Luke 22, we read these words, Jesus walked away from his disciples, perhaps a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me, but I want your will, not mine. Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before his crucifixion, and knowing what is to come, he asks if there is another way. Ultimately, though, he wants to fit in with God's plans and willingly submits his will to his heavenly Father. I wonder this morning if your Christian life is based on your will being done and not his. On your preferences being fulfilled and not his. On your plans being acted upon and not Paul wants the Philippians to grow in their knowledge of God so that his ways become their ways not because they have to but because they want to because when you know someone intimately when you're in love with them when you've committed yourself to them you want to please them you really do this growth in knowledge of God has to go hand in hand also with the growth in discernment. Grow in discernment, Paul says. Knowing God, being in close relationship with him is critical, but Paul wants the Philippians to make the right choices in their daily lives. The Philippians, like all Christians, constantly faced difficult decisions and Paul is determined they are not deceived by Satan who is described by Jesus in John 8 44 as the father of lies you know Satan is out to mislead you this morning and Paul is deterred as he was with the Philippians and Paul is determined they will be able to separate the biblical from the unbiblical, the godly from the ungodly, right from wrong. To choose what was best in any given situation and by so doing, live lives that were pure and blameless. Lives which give glory to God. Jesus returns. We need discernment. In these days, you will know as well as I that the media particularly is full of half-truths, fake news. We need godly discernment. We need to grow in godly discernment so that we can separate God's truth from godly truth. Paul then is praying that the Philippians will grow in holiness, finally. These Philippians were to seek to be morally clean on the inside and outwardly to avoid any charge of wrong behaviour by others. There it is. Purity has to do with inner character, blamelessness with outer conduct, 
both of which come through holy living. You know, we tend to link holiness with religious ritual and those who perform it, but that is not the case. When Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, but be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child because he himself has said, you must be holy, for I am holy. He's talking to Christians in an area that covers most of modern-day Turkey. Ordinary Christians like you and me, ordinary believers, who needed to know that their life to be holy before God. Paul writes to the Corinthians, haven't you yet learned that your body is the home of the Holy Spirit God gave you and that he lives within you? Your own body does not belong to you for God has brought you with a great price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns it. God owns us. We are not our own to do as we choose. The way we think, what we say, and how we act should glorify God. Therefore, holy living is not an optional extra. We are to reflect something of the holiness of God and by so doing become more like Jesus. We are to engage with the process of God's transforming work in us so that we gradually become more like Jesus in what we say, in what we think, and how we act. So here's a concluding thought. I wonder if we're more like Jesus today than we were this time last year. Are we more like Jesus than when we first became Christians? Max Lucado, who I'm sure you might have come across, <coughs> writes this. God loves you just the way you are. Can I encourage you in that? God loves you this morning just the way you are. That's the good news. The bad news, in a sense, is that he refuses to leave you. Why? Because he wants you to be just like Jesus in what you say, what you do. Grow, says Paul. Why is love? That's what he's praying for these Philippians. That was his prayer for them. That's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for myself. And I too 
my throat in ways that I've been all but that in public. Amen. Amen. Amen.